Welcome to the B-Sides and Beers podcast. Welcome to B-Sides and Beers, episode 27. Tonight we are visiting... Mount Bagby Brewing Company out of Revelstoke, BC. Uh, our guest tonight is Darren Shuchuk, uh, Director of Sales and Marketing. Uh, how are we doing tonight? Doing awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah thanks for coming out. Good. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, nice are, you guys, you. are you guys drinking any Mount Bagby beer tonight or what are you drinking? I certainly am. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh man, I'm the only defect. I am not Ooh. drinking my bag. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure I get you some next time I'm through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't find any. I looked in two what? liquor stores and I couldn't find okay. it. And I don't know. I'm I'm terrible at looking in liquor stores though. Yeah. I wander. Oh, well, there's a lot you know, there. Like too. I just, it's like. Yeah. Yeah. And I find myself in weird sections and I'm like, oh yeah, I came in here for like four beers <laughs> yeah. and then I gotta get out of here, right? But I just it's like a Costco kind of you yep. just wander. Well yeah, I went unfortunately, through Yeah. So sorry, I was but, gonna say unfortunately sometimes the uh the little craft breweries get kind of shoved to the bottom or off in the back somewhere. They're a little bit harder to find. You gotta dig for them. Yeah. Well it's it's nice. Uh a lot of the yeah. liquor stores that we have around here, they've got very large craft beer sections but the only yeah. problem is is there's so many different options that it's you know unless you you know yeah. the artwork from the certain you know brewery it, it doesn't shoot out at you right and everybody's competing with a fancier brighter cooler cover art it's funny, to, that, you, it's funny that you say that because we're yeah. just just about to release all of our new cans next month so nice nice our right cans on. are 20 20 years old a lot of them uh 25 some of them so you know they're they don't stand out very much. This is nasty habit here. And it's, you know, it's pretty dull looking can. And this has been around for almost 20 years. So it's, it's it was in need of an, a facelift. And that was one of the things that we worked on. We've been working on for the last year really is a complete reset on all our branding because we're 25 years old. And, and, you know, the first batch of things that came out were sort of Revelstoke focused. And, and then uh, as we sort of started expanding our market, we had a local artist doing some different things. So, the stuff that's 25 years old all looks one way and the stuff that's 20 years old kind of looks another way. And then the right. stuff that's five years old. So, so it's kind of a <laughs> chance to sort of reset, reset the whole, uh, the whole lineup. That's and awesome. It was our 25th anniversary this year. So we wanted to um, kind of do a little brand reset to make the cans a little more, uh, well, I don't know if cans can be sexy, but you know, try, trying to make them look. <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they can. Better, right? Yeah, a make it pop. Curb appeal. Who's, yeah, so. who's the artist you're working with? Um, it's actually uh, Hitman Media, and um, they're okay. uh, a firm out of Vancouver. The designer is actually in Cannes, France, actually. So it's been a little bit of a challenge because of, of the timing. But um, yeah, he's done a great job, and it's it's been uh, it's all it's all rolling out over the next two weeks, basically. Um, start start rolling out all through June every. Every can's getting redone. We're getting rid of the plastics. We're moving to um, to boxes, so everything will get cardboard boxed instead of plastic ringed. Um, we got rid of our. We bought silos for the back of the brewery so that we can buy our bulk uh, malt, so that we don't have to um, dispose of a truckload of plastic bags every week. And just yes. trying to go as much plastic free uh -huh. as we can. It was a and a sort of a 
a mandate that we started over a year ago, but um, by the end of this year, um, it's going to be mandatory for for all breweries to um, get rid of the plastic. So it's a good, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I was getting into your, uh, your just trying to search some out in our liquor stores and I went to three different ones before I found uh, a good selection. I went to one and I grabbed a six pack of your high country uh, uh, Kolsch. Uh, that was, that was solid. And then I found some of your limited ones. So I've got your, uh, faux pas. Oh yeah. Which you could explain what that is. It's a cherry saison. So the, um, the name actually came from when we, we just built a new brewery about three years ago in Revelstoke and it was uh, built from the ground up to be an actual proper brewery instead of, you know, we took over the GM dealership the last time, the last brewery was a car dealership and, you know, trying to, trying to (laughs) wedge yourself into a building that was not designed, uh, you know, uh, for the purpose was, is always a bit of a challenge. So um, the owner Bart uh, and Tracy Bart is um, well saying that he's sort of a technical guy would be an understatement. He's a, he's a PhD in nuclear particle physics. So he's um, he's probably <laughs> the smartest guy I've ever met. <laughs> um, so there's a, there's a solid mic drop right there. Right there. Hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know of any other nuclear physicists that are making beer, but um, anyways, he, uh, yeah, he built the brewery um, specifically to be a brewery. So the, the, you know, the, the water and the drainage and the, the air pressure inside the brewery is higher than outside. So when you open a door, it blows out, not in, you know, all these kinds of things that make a difference. Um, little scientific things that you don't even, wouldn't even normally think about. Um, and He's always been a technology guy because that's who he is and he always likes his toys we were one of the first breweries to get a um he's, i'm drawing a blank all of a sudden <laughs> google it real quick it's all right <laughs> anyways um, <laughs> phone it's impressive phone already phone <laughs> um we, we, yeah so we have we have he likes technology and you know he, he likes to he likes to um you know, spend money on things that help make the beer taste better. So it's right. called a centrifuge is the word I was looking for. And um, they're they're more commonplace now. But um, when we first got one about five years ago, I think we were one of the first breweries to have one. And it basically uses gravity to push the matter out of the beer instead of filtering. So it, interesting. It spins around yeah, really quickly. It and just like centrifuges it. It spins it, pushes the big chunks out. So it's filtering it but it's not really filtering it every time you filter beer you strip color you strip flavor um a typical filter like they call a lenticular filter it has layers and layers and layers and by the time you push your beer through all that it's going to pull a lot of the flavor a lot of the color out of the beer nice thing about a centrifuge is it spins it it pushes those chunks out but it so it's basically filtering without filtering it's a lot faster than than a traditional filter there's a lot less cleanup it saves beer in the end it does pay for itself eventually but you know they're not cheap they're probably three, $400,000 for a, for a centrifuge. So it's not a, not a typical piece of equipment that your small brewery is going to typically buy, but you know, we've been in business for 25 years. It's something that we've worked our way up to same with our canning line and um, some of the technology that he uses like a hop gun, some of the things that we're doing that um, enhance flavors and, and make a big difference in the, in the final product. Can you tell us about what's a hop gun? Hop gun is it's, um, I think the easiest way to explain it is it's it's instead of dry hopping traditionally where you just put a ladder up on the side of your fermenter and you open the top of the tank and you dump a bunch of hops in there and you let them float around for a couple of days. 
um, what it does is it puts the hops in a separate container and, it, and you hook that up to the fermenter and you push the beer through the hops under pressure. And it's, it's kind of like the difference between a drip coffee and an espresso, I guess. So right. you're pulling more of the oils and the resins and the flavors out of the hops that you'd normally get. So Nasty Habit, for example, which, you know, I'm drinking right now is, is kind of my go-to. Um, there's seven different hops in that beer. And it's a based off of a, it's a Canadian spin on a, on an English IPA. So it's malty and easy drinking. It's kind of a gateway IPA. It's not, not that bitter. It's very, it's got a little bit of sweetness to it and a nice sort of grapefruit bitterness to it, but it's really, really easy drinking. But as soon as we switched to hop gun, um, it just came to life. Like it made so the, the flavors just exploded. It's yeah. It makes, it makes a big difference. Um, so is it getting That's like cool. closer to a wet hopped process when you do it that way? Or is it just something completely No, like different? wet hop is, is, uh, you know, when you, a lot of times in September when all these wet, wet hop or fresh hop releases come out, you know, everybody's excited for them. Um, you're putting whole hops green right into the beer and right. you really don't get that much yeah. flavor out of it. That's actually mm -hmm. less hoppy than if you use pellets or if you use a, a hop gun. Um, ah, so it's more of a market. Yeah, I mean, it's fresh hop, but it's not, in my in my experience, I, I've never had a, um, a fresh, a really fresh hop beer that has, uh, it's, it's they're typically, the hops are typically less potent in my opinion, but I mean, I mean, I'm not a brewer, so I may be wrong, but um, <laughs> from, all, from all the stuff that I've t tasted, it's, you don't extract this, as much flavor out of uh, out of the whole hops as you do when you when you uh, hop gun a pellet with the pellets you get you get a lot more a lot more flavor out of it. But um, we have a, a couple of pieces of cool technology in the brewery that you don't typically see in small breweries, um, and that's just because of Bart's scientific background. He you know he loves he loves that stuff. So well, that's yeah. crazy. I mean, like, how, how do you get into making the choice of going? You know, you're a PhD in nuclear physics. To I'm just going to make some beer now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's funny stories because he was he was home brewer and he was making beer at home. He was in going to UBC um, to get his doctor doctor in physics, and um, you know he was making beer that was just better than beer you could buy at the pub. So you know he kind of got. Everybody said, you know, maybe you should make bombers instead of bombs, you know. And uh, <laughs> he, he started making uh, he started making beer. Yeah. So man. he ended up going to Chicago to um, to get his uh, brewmaster's degree, and decided to open a brewery in his hometown of Revelstoke instead of moving to the states and working for some large company and doing whatever nuclear physicists do. I don't know. <laughs> so he kind of, he kind of made that uh, lifestyle choice to, to, um, get back into the, into the mountains and the, and the fresh air and the fresh water. And the, you know, he loves, he's a dirt biker and it's, you know, he, he's loves the outdoors and his, his family all does too. So I think for them, it was a lifestyle thing and driving it. And, um, I mean, that was 25 years ago these days, work life, balance is a lot more promoted than it was back then. Like now everybody wants the work-life balance and everybody's, you know, moving to Revelstoke and working from home. And it's kind of a, it's a, it's a different scenario, but when he did it 25 years ago, it was definitely a big, uh, a big risk, you know, 50% of breweries and restaurants that opened would fail. And, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a, 
little bit of a risk, but I think his, um, his science background and, and his wife, Tracy, she's got a, um, a degree in biology as well. So, you know, they're, they're smart people and, and, um, sort of combining the science with the art of making, um, Bart likes to call it, um, drinkable beer. He, he likes to make beer. That's very, very easy drinking and drinkable. He doesn't want to make something weird just for the f- sake of making something weird or being right. on the bleeding edge of the latest, you know, whatever. Um, he's more of a traditionalist that way. He likes traditional styles. He wants the beer to be, to taste good and be easy drinking. You finish a pint and you can have another one and you can have another one. You know, it's not like right. a, a one and done kind of a, a mentality with a lot, with a lot of the stuff that's just too much. So I think most of the big, big B beers, if you look at them, um, we always have eight or nine beers um, in our core lineup that are available all year and they're all easy drinking. You know, you're not going to ever come across one where you're like, Oh, you know, even, even people that don't like IPAs, like I think the standard progress or progression for most people, when you start drinking beer, nobody likes beer. When you first start drinking it, when you're, when you're young, you, you drink beer because everybody else is drinking it. And, <laughs> and it's the cool thing to do, but you know, nobody really likes the taste of it at first. It kind of grows on you. And then you realize, okay, it's not sweet and it's something that's different. And you sort of develop a taste for it. And you start with lagers and then you move into darker beers and brown ales and things like that. And then you work your way into IPAs and then sours. And then it kind of comes full circle and you end up back appreciating some of the the lighter beers and the colches and things, but um, this this nasty habit is is uh, I call it a gateway IPA because pe- people even that don't like IPAs um, generally they taste some West Coast IPA it's super bitter they don't like it um, you taste a nasty habit and you're like you know what I, I could probably drink that it's not bad and then the next time you taste it you're like actually that's got a lot of flavor and then the third time you drink it you're like you know what this is awesome and it's funny because when I started working for the brewery six years ago I hated IPAs did not drink them. Couldn't drink them. I like dark beers. I like my honey lagers and my, you know, easy yeah, drinking yeah. stuff. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it yeah. kind of snuck up on me and it, and, it, and then all of a sudden all it's like a, a light switch went on and, and the same thing happened to all my friends. They all converted to IPA drinkers. So it's just a progression. I think it's a natural progression with craft beer. I got a question about that actually. And it's, it's funny that you said that when you first started drinking IPAs, you weren't really, that wasn't your favorite or whatever. It seems as though PLLs and IPAs are, you know, that's what you see in the craft section in your, in your liquor store. And for the most part, um, that's what's sort of talked about and celebrated at the moment. And it's a very strong, well, I, I, each IPA is different. Like you said, like there's sort of like East coast, West coast, there's like the, the UK sort of, um, style, but like, it's a very strong taste in general. And it's something that, you know, could turn a lot of people off. Like, you know, especially if it's their first beer, why are IPAs and pale ales so popular right now? Like you said, like, you know, there's ales, honey browns, even dark beers, which, you know, are completely different and and maybe are not as celebrated. A little more toler- like, tolerable to the palate. I mean, when you get into a to a yeah. honey brown or something, yeah. it's a little yeah. smoother, right? Or something more yeah. familiar than a just you know smacky in the mouth kind of IPA. So, 
Absolutely. It's a progression, you know, like you start drinking lagers, then you need something a little more with a little more flavor. So you get into some of the amber ales and you get into the darker beers, the brown ales, and then you start drinking some stouts and then, you know, it kind of progresses. And then all of a sudden you taste some IPAs and you'll find one that you kind of like, like an, a gateway IPA, like nasty, which is got a lot of hop flavor, but not very much bitterness. And that's the biggest misconception most people have is they think that hops are bitter. Oh, if it's an IPA, it's going to be bitter. And hops are not bitter necessarily. It's, they're all sorts of things. They're flavors, they're aromas, they're, there is bitterness. Um, you know, the IBU number that's on the bottle is the biggest misconception out there. And a lot of craft breweries are trying to stop putting those numbers on there because they scare people off. You know, you look at our yeah. Our Grand IPA, which is our Imperial, it's got 88 IBU and people that think, yeah, there it is right I there. Was, I was just going to ask about that as <laughs> right being on. one of, when, when you had mentioned your, we don't have a, a one and done beer at 10% at uh, 10%. And what size is this? 650 mil. That's, that's pretty close to a one and done for most. Yeah, actually that is a one and done. Yeah. <laughs> Those are supposed to be shared, actually. Oh, come on. <laughs> there you, <laughs> you go. Share a couple of them. But, uh, it, yeah. If, if you're drinking alone, it's a one and done, probably, yeah. Well, maybe two. Maybe, maybe two and done. For most people, yeah. Um, one and fun. It's funny, though, because once, once you taste it, you'll realize the IBU thing, because it's an 88 IBU, and a lot of people would go, oh, I, you know, I, I can't drink anything over 65 IBU. They have this idea in their head that, you know, uh, you know, it's going to be so bitter that, that you, you can't drink it. And the IBU number comes from a math equation that's based on the type of hop. Each type of hop has a specific alpha acid number. You take that number and you multiply it by how much of that hop you're putting in the boil, which is multiplied by how long it's in the boil. So just like a tea bag, the longer you leave it in, the more bitter it's going to get. So that IBU number is, is a math equation based on how much hops are in the boil, what type of hops are in the boil and how long they're in the boil. It has nothing to do with dry hopping. It has nothing to do with how much malt is in the beer. Malt is sweet. It's going to mask the bitterness. Um, the higher the alcohol, the sweeter the beer. So the, the higher the alcohol, the more masking of the bitterness. So when you drink Grand, for example, it's 88 IBU, but it's 10%. So, you know, you drink that beer and it doesn't really taste bitter. Whereas you drink a nasty habit and it's like, okay, it's 40 IBU and it's 6% and it's really not bitter either. So, you know, you can have 88 IBU beers that aren't bitter. You can have 30 IBU beers that are super bitter. So right. it just kind right. of, it's kind of a mis mis misconception and you really shouldn't base your, your um, drinking on an IBU number. I, IBU numbers as a general rule, if it's over 50, there's going to be bitterness. If it's under 50, there's probably not. That, that's about where it, that's about where it ends. Like you don't get caught up on IBUs because when you put like Grand has a huge malt build, like there's probably double or triple the amount of malt you'd normally use and double or triple the amount of hops you want to use, but it's all about balance. So the, the more alcohol and malt you have, the more sweetness you're going to have, and the more bitterness you can get away with, and you can balance it and you can mask it. Whereas if you put a ton of hops in the boil and there's not a lot of malt in there, you're going to get a really bitter beer, right? So it it's all about it's all about brewing and styles and things like that, but don't get caught up on the IBU numbers because a lot of times they really mean nothing. Just, just taste it, and if you like it, you like it. You know, that's kind of the way I, <laughs> the way I look at it anyways. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, let's go there, Darren. And I got a question for you. So for a guy who doesn't really like IPAs, and for one of the millions of listeners that are listening right now that do not like IPAs, 
what kind of beer would you suggest even in the Mount Begbie collection that would kind of get that person to come over to the IPA dark side and come and join. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Nasty habit. Nasty habit is nasty (laughs) habit is converted. Everybody I know. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's called nasty habit for a reason. It's it's easy drinking and it's not bitter. It's only 40 IBU. It's um, but it's got seven different hops. It's got tons of hop flavor. So And there's a difference between hoppiness and bitterness. So people have to understand that, you know, you taste a beer, um, Fat Tug isn't a good example of a West Coast IPA that's quite bitter. Um, They've mellowed it out a little bit over the last few years to make it a little more approachable and a little more easier drinking. But generally those West Coast IPAs have, they do, they do topple bitter. So when we talk about balance, you talk about balancing the sweetness and the bitterness and keeping it balanced. So it doesn't topple bitter or it doesn't topple sweet. Um, and the, the beers that topple a bit sweet, the beers that are a little easier drinking are on the low, low IBU side, like a 40 IBU, like Nasty Habit. That's the beer that's going to, that's the beer that's going to get you. It's a beer that's going to, you're going to go, you know what, this actually tastes really good. And it starts growing on you. And then all of a sudden you really start liking the flavor and you recognize that, you know what, it actually tastes, there's just way more flavor in an IPA than in most other beers so that's what happens is it's this progression as you get you need more and more and more and more and you just keep you need keep needing to get your fix right so it gets hoppier and hoppier and you it kind of <laughs> you kind of break into that ipa world with something that's really easy drinking and then you're you're you know and then all of a sudden you just don't drink anything else anymore because everything else tastes like water exactly and and that's that's funny too <laughs> when i well, when, I guess, when i get into yeah. talking about is out of most of the people I know, everybody just drinks the mainstream light lagers. And I've always been into the the darker Imperials, the darker Stouts, the darkest what you know what you can get. And I always tell them how it worked for me getting into it 20 whatever years ago. Uh, a buddy of mine tried to get me into Guinness and I had a I had a pint and I didn't like it and I had another pint and I didn't like it. So he's like, okay, we're gonna get two of them. You're going to pound the first one and you're going to sip the second one. And that it just getting over that initial shock of this is different to mm-hmm. now it's it's like a, a hug in a glass kind of a deal. Right. So it's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Guinness is uh, Guinness is a good example because it's not really an easy drinking beer. It is a dry Irish stout like they're dry. Yep. They're bitter. Yep. They're not they're not an easy drinking stout. If you, if you want an easy drinking stout, you go to like dark side of the stoke or like our coffee stout, super easy drinking. Like it's chocolatey and yummy. And yep. you know, our night in the woods, Imperial stout, it's, it's sweet. It's yeah. It's chocolate. It's dessert. It's delicious. You know? Exactly. So um, it, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I think it's, it's opening up your, your taste buds and opening up your, your mind. It's a progression. It just, yeah, you got to start somewhere and, and, and work your way into it and forcing yourself to drink a couple of pints is yeah. <laughs> a good break, way to do break it. through the break through the flavor wall and then uh yeah. and then get you'll, a six you'll pack habit and by the get a six pack of nasty habit and by the time you're done the six pack you'll be an IPA drinker. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. I, I think there's no substitute uh as well as context, right? Like uh a pint of Guinness in a an old trad pub in Ireland is completely different than uh the pub you down bet. the street, right? So yeah. um yeah, for sure. But okay, so I think you're starting to put together some of the missing 
pieces of the puzzle in my brain anyway. And so you, you mentioned seven hops and I'm just thinking like, this sounds like a lot of experimentation, a lot of figuring out like the right ratio. Absolutely. Do you have to adjust the malt for that amount of complexity or is this, do you have an existing malt that you just sort of like use as like a base baseline and then you start experimenting with yeah, the Yeah, so there's baseline recipes that most of the brewers get and um, they, you know, they're members to a, a website or, you know, whatever that gives them all sorts of recipes. So you can say, you know, 15 years ago when we wanted to make our, our first IPA, um, Bart being the traditionalist that he was, he wanted to make an English style IPA because that's what IPAs were. There wasn't West Coast IPAs and East Coast IPAs and fruity IPAs and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, now there's so many variables. There's brute IPAs and maybe champagne yeast. There's, you know, there, everybody's always trying to come up with the next new, the next big thing. Right. But, um, the, uh, you know, so when he first started, it was all about doing an English IPA and using English hops and English malts. And yeah, it's all, it's, you have a baseline, um, you have a baseline recipe and then you take that recipe and you tweak it. And obviously every country is different and you have different access to different malts and we get most of our malts from Armstrong. So, you know, you're, you have to work with what you can get. So we import right. a lot of our, our malt from the UK, um, Brave Liver Scotch Ale, the malt, the malts come from Scotland, Tall Timber, the malts come from England because they're traditional English, traditional Scottish beers and Bart believes in keeping them traditional. So um, not, not that somebody in Canada can't start growing those malts and producing them because they can, and I'm, I'm sure they do. Um, it's getting more and more and more that way with hops. So 80% of our hops come from the US, but now hop farms have been sprouting up everywhere in BC and you know, Kamloops and Abbotsford and all these places are, are producing a lot of hops now. So, you know, that's going to shift and it's going to become more Canadian content. And so you're going to start seeing you know, like nasty habit isn't really, it doesn't fall into a category. It's not, a, it's not an English IPA anymore because it's got uh, a lot of Canadian hops in it and Canadian malts. Right. So it's a, yeah. it's a blend of three or four different types of malts. It's a blend of seven different hops. So, you know, they're tweaking, constantly tweaking and, and, and changing the recipe and changing it until they get it right. And it takes generally three or four years to really get it right. And, and you keep tweaking and changing and tweaking and changing Sometimes right out of the gate, you hit it and you, and you nail it. Um, but usually, you know, it requires a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, you know, you taste it and you go, I, I like it, but you know, maybe we should do just tweak it a little bit with this or with that malt or this hop or, you know, whatever. Um, and then when things change, when your brewery changes and you build a new brewery and you got a bigger brew house and you got, you're brewing bigger batches and then all, everything has to change again, but um, it's not always the same. Like it's it just because it's, twice the size, you don't just double everything. It, it, there's chemistry involved and, and things change and things, wow. you know, you gotta, you yeah. gotta, you gotta tweak things. So it's a process and, um, it's, it takes time. So, you know, or like our Kolsch, we were, we were the first company to bring Kolsch to Canada, I believe, um, 25 years ago. And, um, it's, a, it's a beer that for us, you know, Bart went to Germany. He tasted Kolsch. He loved it. He's like, here is a drink. 25 years ago, Canadians wouldn't drink, you know, sour beers and IPAs and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, Pe yeah. People wanted, they, they drank coconut. They drank 
bud. So, you know, what can you do as a craft brewery that's going to reach those people, make them go, Hey, this is good beer. It's like bud, but better. So that's basically where bar was like, Hey, Kolsch, Kolsch is like bud. Um, it's light. It's 4.5%. It's only two calories more than bud light. It's, it's a light beer. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, 120 calories for a can of Kolsch Our Kolsch 110 calories for a can of bud light. Like it's essentially, it's a a light beer that has 10 times the amount of flavor you get out of a bud light. So (laughs) it's all about, it's all about finding something like that. And that's what Bart basically did. He's like, you know what? The Kolsch is a, is a, is an awesome beer. People are going to love this. People are going to love this in Canada because they drink kokanee. And they're gonna they're gonna easily jump from Kokanee to Kolsch. Right. Kolsch is a is a gateway craft beer. It's it's four point five percent, and that's it, that's why my uh, six pack disappeared so quickly last yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's that's kind of where you know he started with Cream Ale was our first beer twenty five years ago. Um, Powerhouse, which is our amber ale, came next um, in this this uh, this summer. It, it have its 25th anniversary. Tall Timber, which is our English brown, and then um, that's what I'm drinking. Yeah, Tall awesome. Timber, super easy drinking, yeah. caramely. Uh, took silver yeah. for Canada two years in a row, 2019 and 2018 at the World Beer Awards. Nice. Um, Kolsch took three golds in Canada. And then went on to win the World Championships. We actually beat uh, the USA and Germany, which are hard to beat when it comes to German beers. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we arguably have the world's best Kolsch. Um, I mean, in 2017, it was the world's best Kolsch. Um, but it's, uh, there's a lot of factors that make that beer good. And it's not just, um, you know, Bart being a scientist, obviously is a big part of it. And, and you know, 25 years of, of tweaking and whatever. Um, but it's also about location. I mean, we live in Revelstoke and the, the, the water here is as good as water gets. You, you can't get better water for making beer. It's soft, beautiful mountain, fresh water. Um, you know, Germany can't get water as good as we have. So um, yeah, our Kolsch is going to be better. When you make a really light beer like Kolsch or Cream Ale, you can't hide bad water. I mean, like you can't hide it. If, you, if you've got great water and you're making a light beer, light beers are actually harder to make a world champion than beers that are really hoppy or stouts or anything that have lots of flavor because you can hide a lot of things with with hops and malts and all these kinds of things. But when you're making a really light beer like a cream ale or a Kolsch, our cream ale has won three gold medals, our Kolsch has won three gold medals. It's it's you you got to start with really really good water, and you're not going to get better water than we have in Revelstoke. We're far from any pollution. It's mountain fresh. It's it's as good as water gets. So that's a big part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We're lucky. We're lucky that we're in Canada and 25% of the world's fresh waters in Canada. We have more freshwater lakes than the rest of the world combined. So we're, um, you know, we're, we're, we're positioned to be making the world's best beer <laughs> in British <laughs> Columbia. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got, uh, I've got one question about your limited runs. Uh, I'm not sure if this one is part of your limited runs, but your, brave liver scotch ale i was trying to track that down and nobody seems to have it how can i just get a case of it because i'm a huge scotch ale fan and <laughs> i definitely like to to check that out and you know see how it sits up against like a McEwen's or that sort and of where deal. are you i'm in vernon you're in vernon okay yeah so um you should be able to get 
Brave Liver at one of the private liquor stores in Vernon. Yeah, I went to three of them, and, and maybe they just didn't have any in stock at that time. So I didn't know if that was just a, you know, production wise during you know COVID. Maybe you weren't putting that out during. Well, it's an example of. Uh, so. It's an example of what we talked about with the BCLDV um, putting um, minimum volume on beers in order to to to, to stock them. So. For the last couple of years, Brave Liver has been a, what they call a stock spec. So any liquor store could get it. It was in stock at the LDB. Um, because we're a small brewery, didn't sell enough of it to make their their new um, minimums. Cool yeah. So it's uh, private stores should have it. Like in in um, in Vernon, you should be able to get it at uh, Vernon Square or at Monashi or at... Um, um, I figured Cal might have it, but I wasn't able to find it there either. Like I said, I went through three shops and and I was only fo- able to find uh, somewhat of a selection at like the the government uh, liquor yeah. store kind of deal. So, but I just figured well, it was I'm just you know timing right thing. I'll drop you off a bottle. Beauty, beauty. <laughs> yeah. So our Brave Liver Scotch Ale, um, another you know sort of typical thing for Bart. He, he's a traditionalist. He wants to make beer the way it's supposed to be made. Um, traditionally, uh, the malts come from Scotland. We take Scottish, um, uh, Scotch, sorry, Scotch whiskey. Um, we soak oak rounds in Scotch whiskey for, um, for a week or so until they, they about a 26 or two have soaked into these Scotch, uh, Scotch into these oak rounds. And we put those oak rounds into the conditioning tanks and, let it sit on that, uh, on that whiskey soaked Oak for, for a month. Um, it's like barrel aging your beer without putting your beer in the barrel. So it's like putting the barrels in the beer instead of the beer in the barrels. It's just, um, uh, kind of a easier and safer way of, 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 um, getting that, those flavors out of the, out of the Oak and the whiskey. And probably more um, consistent too, I would assume. Very, yeah. And a little easier to manage and it's, and it's, um, and it's only a month. So if you're aging it for six months or a year, you'd have a lot of that oaky whiskey flavor because it's only a month. It's very subtle. It's you don't you don't taste it and go, oh yeah, that's uh, you know that Scotch whiskey you know or oak. It, it's very subtle in the background. Um, it's a delicious beer if you like Scotch ales. We specifically didn't make it sweet. So typically with Scotch ales because they're high percentage, they're usually seven eight percent alcohol. Right. Um, the higher the alcohol, the sweeter the beer gets. So um, because you have to have so much more malt and so much more sugars and so much, you know, to, to get those alcohol levels high right, that the right. beers inevitably end up being sweet. So like McEwen's, which I used to drink all the time, um, is a very, very sweet beer. Like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's really sweet. Yeah. Um, so when you taste Brave Liver, you'll find that it's, um, it's not nearly as sweet as McEwen's, but if you warm it up a little bit before you drink it, get it at about 12, 13 degrees, you'll get a lot of really interesting flavors coming out of it. Okay. Um, and it's, I mean, it won Best Strong Ale for Canada at the World Beer Awards two years in a row as well, 2018 and 2019. It's, it's, uh, it's a solid beer for sure. Um, but yeah, six and a half percent. So it's, you know, it's, it's a big beer. Yeah, definitely. Lots and lots of flavors, but I'll make sure I get, get, get you one. Greatly appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, I've got, a, I've got a, a question. Sorry, Mike, go you ahead. You were drinking the faux pas there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, so that's our cherry saison. It's so good, man. It's it's wicked smooth and yeah, quite surprised. <laughs> I, I I'm not really I've never really been a fan of 
like fruity style beers, but this is is it's awesome. Like it's it's not yeah. like it's a, a a fruit hits you first. It's just kind of a a nice blend yeah. and a, a little bit of a lingering. So yeah, it's nice that you said that. I mean, it's it's kind of what like with, with saisons. I'm I'm not a big saison drinker. Like I'm not a big farmhouse or you know saison type a wheat beer drinker generally. Mm. Um, but what's nice about it is we take, well, we do 400 pounds of cherries, half of them are sweet and half of them are sour. And we put that into uh, the fermenter when we're, when we're making it. So the, the head is a little bit pink. If you pour it into a glass, you, you know, you get a little bit of a pink head. It's a nice, um, really rich amber, dark amber color. Um, and then the saison has all those sort of almost peppery and spicy kind of notes to it. Yeah. Um, from the, from the yeast. So it's got a very interesting, interesting flavor. Um, but you're right. It, it doesn't taste like cherries. I mean, you know, people are sometimes on, on tap, people say, well, it doesn't taste like cherry. Well, if you're, if you're drinking a beer and it tastes like you're drinking cherry cola, well then yeah. they're putting extracts in that beer. They're not, exactly. it's not real cherries going in that beer. They're using artificial flavor to make it taste like cherry, which we would never do. We just don't do anything artificial. It's all right. natural, all, you know, so, um, you know, and, and the part of the problem is that, you know, these days it's like, yeah, fruit beers are, are crazy. Like everybody's making all sorts of crazy fruit beers and, and, uh, they're almost tasting like ciders. A lot of them, right. They're just all fruit and really they're not even beer. So it just depends on what you're looking for. Um, and what, and what you like, but yeah, definitely. Are you doing this all in right in brewing all this in Revelstoke during? Yeah. If right you guys there, ever get a chance to come to Revelstoke, just give me a heads up because I'd love to give you a tour and we definitely will show you what's going on. Definitely. Yeah. It's a cool yeah. brewery. I mean, it was built uh, specifically to be a brewery, like I said. So it's got a lot of interesting technology and and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of science behind making consistently making good beer. And, y- you know, you can pull something out of a hat and, and do a, do a great one off or whatever. But to consistently make beers that consistently win gold medals over years and years and years is um you know it says something it says something about about um the brewers and and um how talented they are and and how much experience they have bart's been brewing beer for 30 years most of the other brewers and have been over 10 years 15 years brewing experience um since i've been with the company we've never um never dumped a batch you know like it's it's uh it's pretty dialed lately. Like, we've really got it dialed. Yeah. So That's anyway, awesome. very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I've got, if you could pass this on to Bart and since he's such a traditionalist, can you, uh, ask him to, uh, maybe take a shot at a trapeze? So maybe some, so we do have one. Fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. you do. Yeah. Oh, my mistake. So I, two years ago, <laughs> um, Two years ago, we brewed um, our, a Grand Cru. So a Grand okay. Cru is basically a um, um, a Belgian strong ale, an amber Belgian strong yep. ale. So Belgian strong ales come in in two uh, formats. They come in um, in a dark or in a golden. And um, they're different from a, a double or a triple or a quad. Triple. Um, yep. Double fermented, triple fermented, quadruple fermented. Um, the strong ales, they use a yeast that just doesn't stop. It just one yeast, it ferments for 30 days. It just keeps going and going and going until it hits 10%. So we have a beer called the Grand Cru. Um, you'll notice it at the liquor store because it's got a wax dipped, um, the top of it's wax dipped. Uh, 
Um, the reason you do that is because generally with craft beer, you want to drink it within three to three to six months maximum. Um, craft beer is not pasteurized. It doesn't have, it has no preservatives in it. It will go bad. So it's not like uh, a can of bud where you can literally leave it in your fridge for two years and it tastes the same. Um, yeah. It will, it will go bad. It will, it will, it will change. Um, with some of the beers though, like the Belgian Grand Cru, it's 10, it's 11% alcohol. Um, it's unfiltered. It will continue to bottle age as you, as you, you keep the bottle, um, in your fridge, the, the wax basically just keeps air from moisture from rusting under the cap. So what happens is moisture will eventually, if you've ever popped a beer cap off and there's been rust on your, on your bottle, what happens is the, the air oxidizes the metal air eventually creeps into the beer and air and light are what ruin your beer. So if you keep, keep, keep it dark and you can keep air out of it, it'll last a long, long time. So bottles that are wax dipped like that, you can, you can sell them for, for 10 years um, wow. and they just, right, get, right. they just get better and better. Um, so some of the original grand crew that I have from 2019, um, is the, it actually won the world championships. We, uh, we submitted it to, uh, the World Beer Awards it won for Canada. Then after you win for your country, you go on to compete against all the top winners from all the other countries. So we actually, um, our Grand Crew actually beat a whole bunch of Belgian breweries. We actually have um, the best uh, Belgian strong, one of the best Belgian strong ales in the world. Yeah. I'm gonna have to sort. I'm gonna it's have called, to find it's that. It's called I'm the Grand to, Crew, uh, and it's not it's not easy to Grand find. Crew. It's a, it's a. Is it more like a triple or um, like? A, no, I mean it's. Um, it's golden in color, like a triple, but it's, uh, yeah. and it is 10% or 11%. So it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's probably similar to a, to a, to a triple. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Awesome. So we do, we do, we do make one, but, um, it's, it's a little harder to find. Yeah. Is it, it is sure. it, is there yeah, a possibility yeah. of being able to special order a case from, uh, through your, or through our liquor store kind of deal? Absolutely. Any, okay. any liquor store can get it. Um, okay they'll order through the LDB, the LDB will order through us and it'll eventually get there. It takes a couple of weeks, but awesome. um, the other option is I can just drop a couple of bottles off for you. Beauty. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So, you know, we, um, it's our 25th anniversary. We're trying to do a bunch of things. And, the, and, and like I said, it, it's interesting how the, the cycle goes where you start to, discovering amber beers and darker beers and hoppier beers and sour beers. And then you kind of come full circle back into lagers and, and, and Kolsch's and light beers again, and you develop a new appreciation for them because you can really start to um, notice the flavors and, and, and the differences and the nuances with, with light beers. Um, so it kind of comes full circle. And so for our 25th anniversary, we actually reintroduced a lager that was an old school traditional lager um, that um there was a brewery in Revelstoke called Enterprise Brewing, and it started in 1898, and it went for 60 years. It was one of the biggest breweries in BC, won tons of medals. Um, in the late 50s, when Molson forced all uh, breweries to go unionized, it kind of destroyed all small breweries in Canada in one false swoop. Um, so that brewery kind of went out, went out of business in 1957 in Revelstoke. But um, the owner of the brewery, his three sons still lived here, and and we um, we got some of their original recipes and we did a tribute to them. And we did four of these old school beers with paper labels and, you know, sort of 50 wow, style designs cool. and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, we um, for our 25th anniversary, we're bringing back uh, um, uh, an old school lager, uh, just a classic old school lager. It's, we're just calling it Revelstoke Lager, uh, which is what they called it in the 50s. Um, 
and it comes out in about two weeks in a, in a 12 pack. So you'll, you'll, you'll see those, um, hitting liquor stores soon. Um, for our 25th anniversary, we kind of, we wanted to do a lot more than we actually wanted to do a whole bunch of things, but, uh, <laughs> between the rebrand and all sorts of things and COVID and blah, 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 it's been, it's been a challenging, a challenging time, but, um, um, if you like light beers, crushable beers, then definitely look for, uh, for the Revelstoke lager. You'll see it's in a Kootenanny, uh, plaid, kind of like my shirt, plaid, plaid box. Awesome. The cans are, the cans are plaid. So it's awesome. classic nice. Canadian, classic Kootenays Canadian, um, Canadian spin on a German, on a German lager. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Why not? So, so yeah, I guess yeah. other than that, is there anything coming up that you want to, um, any anything you want to push out sort of promote other than that Revelstoke or? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it's any, it's any just sort nice. of limiteds coming out that you can talk about or are they pretty um, hush hush at this point? No, no, we do. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> we do in the brewery. We obviously have a bunch of experimentals. You can only get them at the brewery on tap. So you'd have, you actually have to come to the brewery to get those. Um, we're always running some sort of an experimental beer. Um, that's how beers start. They start out as a small batch experimental. We try it on, on tap in the tasting room, see how people like it. If it's a hit, then we do a, you know, typically do a small batch in bombers in the bomber bottles. Yep. If, uh, if those are a big hit, then, uh, volume gets to a certain point. Then we go to can, put them into, into, into cans. Sometimes the cans are limited release. So, um, white knuckle, which is our Belgian white IPA. Um, those tall cans come out, um, in about a month. Um, the cherry saison that you're drinking that just came out, that's our, one of our summer, our summer seasonals, uh, Revelstoke lager obviously is going to be the big, the, the big push for our 25th anniversary. And we're working on some sort of, a some sort of a specialty beer that I'm not exactly sure what that's going to be just yet for, for our 25th. So, <laughs> Awesome. There's going to be well, some, some stuff happening, but we're, uh, we're doing some barrels, some barrel aging stuff and working on a bunch of things that actually aren't even going to be available till next year. But, um, yeah, just, you know, just nice to, nice to get a little bit of exposure for, you know, a small brewery that was, you know, 25 years is a long time. We, we were one of the first, I guess the first Baker's dozen of craft breweries in BC. And, um, a lot of people, the craft beer, revolution really has happened in the last you know seven years or so kind of thing um where it's really taken off and and um people have really really gotten into it more than just a hobby more 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 like an obsession you know it's um it's really really taking off um people love craft beer and it's for the most part a lot of times it's hit and miss you know you try something you don't like it well you move on you try something else right um so it's just all, all I can recommend is just get out there and taste as much and as many, you know, different things as you can and, and just really open up your mind and your palate to, to something new. Cool. Um, and that's, that's the best thing about craft beer is there's always something new. Exactly. Right on. Is your, so yeah. your, your tasting room, are you guys doing any sort of like patio thing yeah. or can you still pick up a, like a, yeah. a growler of something Absolutely. special? Yeah. So you can come by, right uh, the tasting rooms op- right now because of COVID it's only open Thursday to Sunday, uh, noon to okay. eight. Um, so shorter hours, less days. It's not open all the time, but Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come by, um, try some beers, great tapas, great, great view. 
um, probably the best, best beer patio view in Canada. This ridiculous view of the, of the, the overlooking Revelstoke and Mount Bigby in the background. It's, it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, yeah. You know, just, if you guys get a chance, please, uh, please come to Revy, check it out. Yeah. And give me the heads up if you're coming. Definitely. It's uh it's, it, it's going to be a worthwhile right trip. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Oh, thanks, thanks so much, a lot, Darren. Darren. Yeah, yeah Darren. my pleasure. Yeah, anytime. Um, let me know if you're coming through and uh, keep in touch. Definitely will. We got your we yeah. got your digit, so yeah. we'll make it happen. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much. Right Cheers. on. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks so Peace. much.